Everything on the podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing I say is meant to treat or diagnose, or it's not even advice for you to follow. So remember, when you're listening to the podcast, I am a doctor. I'm just not your doctor. Welcome to On Call with Dr. Dave. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Julie, who is a neurosurgeon. Dr. Julie and I, we talk a little bit about not matching. We share stories. Ashley chimes in with her experience of not matching and what that meant for her and for us as a family. And Dr. Julie was very kind to open up and be vulnerable with us in talking about her experience and why it's so difficult to go through. You brought up the not matching. So instead of patient stories, that's something else that I've talked about on the podcast is that was a dark day for me. I changed my mind. I'd switched specialties. I applied yeah. the specialty. I had my goal and then I didn't match. And when I talked about it, I guess somebody listened to the podcast and said, I didn't go into it enough about what that was like. I just said, when I did this and this is how it worked out. But in that moment, it was just terrible. And I felt just like I'd wasted part of my life or it wasn't ever going to work out. And trying for a pre-residency fellowship, I tried for a pre-residency fellowship because that's the, one of the few things that you can do that increases your chance of matching. Right. And I didn't get that either. I applied for two of them. I went and interviewed at both of the big names in the country. And I didn't get those either. And so it was like, give up on your dream or just apply again next year with nothing to add to your application and just cross your fingers. And so with nothing with the, without the pre-residency fellowship, I just went and just did my intern year and just reapplied and it worked out for me. But that, that was a rough year, not knowing my future was completely in flux. I had no idea what was going to happen. And if I was going to get into the specialty I wanted to, or I'd have to totally change my mind. And if I, people told me, get a backup or just switch or go into this, or it's an easier match or why waste the time. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to at least give this one more good chance without a safety net. I'm just going to go for it. So what was that like for you not matching that first time? Yeah. And, and I think this is something I'd, I'd probably even prefer to talk about. Like neurosurgery can be so niche, but I think this is something people don't talk about enough is not matching. And there's quite a number of people who go unmatched into whatever specialty of their choice. And there's quite a number of people who eventually match into it. And I just think it should be talked about more because it really isn't the end of the world. And I, I don't know for you, but for me, you know, there wasn't anybody to really talk to who didn't match before. And like you said, people are giving you this advice. There were people who matched into their first choice and okay, so how do you have any perspective? And it's also, it's medicine, right? All of us are used to being, I don't know, at least if not like high achievers, right? Mm -hmm. You probably did pretty well in high school. You probably did pretty well in college. Medical school may have been the point where it didn't go as well as you thought because people are smart, but at the end of the day, you're finishing med school. And kind of, we're always used to going to the next step and a, a lot, still a majority of medical students, they go straight through, they don't take, a, or I guess now a lot of them are taking research years, but still they're not like a working a normal job or have, I think as much maybe disappointment or like barriers, you could say as the general population. So I, I think it is a huge blow. I spent eight years in the MD PhD program and then I didn't match. And like you said, it's my God, I worked, I did all this work. And now what do I do? And I think for me, it was really frustrating. I remember because there was like one program that was, everyone thought I was matching at and it was like, everyone thought it was a done deal. And even I spoke to the residents later, I was very close to them at that program. 
And they were like, we thought you didn't rank us because you didn't match with us. And I was like, no, that that didn't happen. And that's how like, my, how it was just, uh, I don't know what happened. Like my chairman had talked to them and I don't know, just, I guess something happened. <laughs> it doesn't, mm. it's hard to know, but yeah, it was devastating, especially when you don't have an answer. I, I don't know how that was for you, but it's like, what was the problem? And if there's nothing that's identifiable, then you can't even rectify it. If it's a bad board score, fine. You can't fix your board score. Can you do other extracurriculars? I had a PhD. I had good research work. I had decent connections. Like everything was mostly fine. So like you, the only other thing I could do was gain more experience by doing a pre-residency fellowship, which just worked out. And I sent somehow found it, sent my CV in and that alone was a risk, right? Cause it's not ACGME accredited. You don't get any credit for it. You essentially could be wasting your time for, like you said, cross your fingers and apply again. But to answer your question of what was it like, I agree with you. It that's like probably one of, that's one of the most horrible times besides like sub eyes were pretty horrible. Cause you have to smile and be happy and work like a <laughs> months straight, but it, it was the not knowing is hard. Right. And then I think that's when first really the sense of failure and imposter syndrome all kind of start to set in because you're now just not sure even what your worth is or like, how are you going to continue? And like you said, what's the backup plan? When I reapplied, I did apply to general surgery prelim programs as well, because I didn't, I didn't think that I, I wasn't ready to give up neurosurgery yet on just on a second try alone. So I did a gen surge prelim program because I figured, okay, if I didn't match in a neurosurgery, I could probably get a gen surge prelim program that would give me a year to reevaluate things at least, and at least make headway in some sort of ACGME accredited program and take a year and get that on. It was at least I figured making more progress instead of just doing the same thing over. I remember the Dean and I, I remember that day they know ahead of time right so they know yeah. the day ahead of time and they're not supposed to tell you but he like i don't know it was like some sort of hint oh i know what it was because you find out whether you fully match or only prelim match so i only applied to gen surge prelims and the only categorical was neurosurgery so i knew i matched neurosurgery at that point so then it was just like a matter of where right so that was cool because i already <laughs> had like a sort of heads up based on the way that i the strategy of my application. So I was trying to ask him, I was like, which program is it? And obviously <laughs> he didn't tell me he was trying to give me cryptic hints, which like, I am very bad at puzzles apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember that. And I think the program dire director, he called me the next day, but I think he screwed up the time and didn't know if it was like East coast. time. <laughs> um, so then I found out, I was like, oh, you're not supposed to call yet. He's oh, I'm not. He in so that was fun. <laughs> Um, I love that you, I love that you let him know that he wasn't supposed to be calling yet. <laughs> and so just, thank you. I get to know early. It's like, it's too early. You shouldn't be calling yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. And somebody asked me once about imposter syndrome and I said, I didn't really have it because every step of the way you've met all the criteria to be where you are and they test you so much. And so if you make it, but I, you're right in that moment of not matching, that was the first big failure of my life. Because everything else was just climbing the ladder. It's just like the goals. It's like literally climbing stairs. You get the right grades in high school. You get the right grades in college. You get into medical school. You get the right board scores. I was just climbing the steps. And I was going straight toward my goal. And then all of a sudden, it felt like somebody just ripped the steps away from me. 
And there I was. And I said, but I've been climbing the steps. I've done all the things I'm supposed to. Like this doesn't make sense. And so I never really thought about it as imposter syndrome. But yeah, in that moment, I questioned whether I was good enough to be there. What may be not good enough? Did I mess up something in my application? Yeah, mine was one where I went to the program director. And I said, what do I do? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's bad luck or you could do this or this. But yeah, it usually doesn't work out. Most people don't match their second time. So good luck. You can scramble. There's almost no help at all. I found out more online from talking to people. But like you said, there weren't any resources available. And then they're like, well, your board score wasn't that high. I'm like, yeah, but it was the average board score for people that matched into this specialty. So people got in with lower board scores because I know people are getting in with higher. And my, and my second board score was much above the average. And I had this and I had that. And there just wasn't one thing anyone could point to, which on one side at least gave me some hope that my application was good enough. Maybe the wrong people saw it. So at least gave me some hope to reapply. But then, like I said, I went and flew to two different places and tried the pre-residency fellowship match or not even a match. It's like you, it's more like a job thing because it's outside of that. But then again, both places, you're not good enough. You know, just that's what it feels like because you get the no again. So even out of all the people that got rejected, you're still not even that top layer of people that got rejected because the top layer that got that rejected got those pre-residency fellowship spots. So you're not even good enough to be in that group. So it's just like just leveling down. And then once I got to the other side of it though, and I interviewed people for residency spots and I interviewed people from fellowship spots, so much of it is just luck. And it sucks to hear that because we put so much time and effort to get where we are, but who matches and who doesn't, unless there's something glaring on your application, it really is just bad luck. And if, and I've been a resource to some people that haven't matched since, I think just like you mentioned, he contacted me for the next five or six years. So, Hey, got a guy that didn't match or a gal that didn't match. Would Same. you talk to them? And I said, yeah, of course I'd love to, but I think I've been out long enough that maybe my experience doesn't matter as much, or it just, there's a new crop, but it would be nice if That's there's something more. <laughs> there was a helpline or. Uh, well, yeah. Just, yeah helpline or somebody organization, somebody, just something more. Yeah. Somebody at the day. med school, like yeah, somebody at the med I'm school saying. that just knows how to manage it, how to talk to you. Like one of the psychiatrists at the med school could <laughs> just sit you down <laughs> and tell you're a good person. For at least for us, it was like, all right, the coming to the decision to watch him come to the decision of what subspecialty he was actually going to pick yeah. was bad enough. And then when you had to do it again, because you're ranking all of them through your entire med school experience, you're like, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. And then you finally narrow it down to this is my jam. This is what I'm going to do. This is the kind of doctor I'm going to be. And then you get told no. And then it's almost like you have to do it again, but there's this cloak of, am I even good enough to be here? It's just, it was really rough to watch and it was rough to go through, but I agree. Why don't they have resources at med schools for this scenario? Cause it happens every class. In every class, there's a certain percentage of people that don't match Then yeah. every specialty. Not some people think, oh, oh, only the competitive specialties, but no, sometimes the lower competitive specialties, the ranking system, you don't go to enough interviews, you don't rank enough places, things happen. So it's just, it happens every year to a number of people. Yeah. And so, yeah, it would be nice to be a little more organized about it. And because, yeah, like you said, I just felt like nobody was there for me that I was just figure stuff out. Oh, there's the scramble. And then you can pick a different specialty or try again. 
And I'm like, how do I scramble? Oh, you just start calling places. But even that, I got some friends and they helped me call and you just try to figure out where things are. And it's just the wild west. And it's one of those things too, where you feel down and it's like, you feel at your lowest. And then you, once again, you have to paste on that smile and then have to be the happiest applicant ever. Oh, I would just love to come here. And this is so great. And that, what, what do you like about our program? Like, I like that you have an open spot. And yeah, it's like, there's like desperation and like, they all know that. And it's hard to turn around that fast, right? You do a pre-residency fellowship, you know, match was like in March start this pre-residency fellowship nobody knows you at your new place really and then you're supposed to get a letter from them before september huh. so your july august this is two months and yes you're supposed to get experience in the pre-residency fellowship but basically by your interviews you're only having a couple months under your belt so i think even that does like how much does it help i don't know and i think it's especially in neurosurgery it's a lot about contacts and the chairman who was new at the time he's he's the thing is it's not also just about contacts but actually this thing we were talking about in the women in medicine group i was just at one of the big conferences for neurosurgery which is cns or congress of neurological surgeons and we talked about not just mentorship but sponsorship which is was like big word we were ha having, which, and then it's, I don't know, like I, I looked, I looked up the word in the dictionary, right? What, what is the difference, right? Mentorship really is defined as giving advice, right? Where sponsorship is actively essentially connecting and doing things for, not for you, but helping facilitate things instead of what's more action mm -hmm. than words, right. And uh, yeah, that's something we've been talking a lot about in the women in neurosurgery groups. And that was a buzzword of this year's meetings. And it's true though, right? It's one thing to give advice like you were talking about, oh, like scramble, that's advice, right? Like <laughs> mentors can be advice. But for example, my chairman, who is still the chairman now at Leahy Clinic or Leahy Hospital Medical Center, the Biz Beth Israel, Leahy Health, whatever you want to call it, like they've gone through all these name changes. <laughs> but it's not just like who he knows, but they have to advocate for you. And he is certainly in my job search this year in the last couple months has reached out to a lot of people and it, and it's the same thing, I think, for residency. you got to get your foot on the door. If your application for some reason is falling through the cracks, if you get that interview, and I, I presume it's the same for you or most of us who didn't match, it's just getting your foot through that first like cutoff or whatever they choose that cutoff range to be, whether it's board score, not enough research, not the right letters. And once you get in that door, I think most of us are, are pretty good candidates. And then from there, it's a crapshoot, right? But so, yeah, I, I think that I guess I lost my train of thought, but I was saying a lot of that of, of where you're going in the pre, or that's what I was saying in the pre-residency fellowship, it's not just what you do and what you learn, but it's the people you meet along the way. And actually I was going to say that opened some doors. I definitely got some interviews through his sponsorship, so to say, but where I ended up was definitely on my own accord. I ended up at a place that actually had wanted to match me in the first round and just their complement had changed. So I ended up not matching there the first time. And I guess from what the program director told me, he was super happy to see I was in the, the cycle again. Yeah, that's great feedback too, especially coming through everything you did to wonder why you didn't match. And then to talk to somebody who said, no, we really liked you. We, we, we wanted you. Thank you for coming back. That must've taken just a weight off and just taken off a few of your doubts that you'd had over the last year. Yeah, def definitely. Because that's what you want to hear is that you didn't do anything wrong or you want to know what could you have done different. And that was, I think that like you said, for me, it was more frustrating. I don't know if it's 
I think for you, you said maybe it was reassuring that you didn't do anything wrong. But for me, it was frustrating because if I didn't do anything wrong, then what am I supposed to do <laughs> to get in? Maybe that's, I don't know, the realist maybe in me. So I was just like, well, then what do I do? <laughs> like, what advice can anybody give me? And literally there was, but still you and I end up in the same boat of having no advice for us because regardless, people are like, oh, you did everything right. Here it is. And you did everything right. It sucks for you. So yeah, that, that sucked, but I'm in a better place now, right? I'm in fellowship and job searching, which is, this is a totally different game now. It's, it's weird. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's everything flips. All of a sudden you have control. They want you. They're courting you for what you can do for them and the skill sets that you bring. Oh. It, it, it flips completely. And like, it shouldn't have, it doesn't have, it shouldn't have had to flip like that because everything we're learning through the whole time, we are valuable assets. Like people really should want us the whole time. People should be courting us to train us. And like, uh, but it, it feels good to be on the flip side. <laughs> it was very wild to have that happen. And then to be like, where do we want to live? Cause we had never gotten to decide right. like 14 years. We don't know. Yeah. We just go wherever they tell us to go. And then we live there for a while and then we go somewhere else and then <laughs> you do it again. Yeah. And then you do it again. And then when you're staring down, it's like, Oh, where, but where do we want to go? How do people just pick a place to live and then stay there? It's very wild. But depending upon the availability of the specialty, that also factors into jobs and whatnot. But it is strange to be like, I can live wherever I want. It's overwhelming, actually. It was at the time. I'm going to be thinking about that sponsorship versus mentorship quite a bit. And also to sponsor somebody, you really have to believe in them. I, I you can, have more skin in the game. Yeah, if you I can, sponsor, you usually yeah. throw money down. Well, that's yeah, that's uh, the difference is like mentorship is that you... It's a volunteer thing a lot of the time. It's a lot of whether they succeed or they not, it's ultimately on their head. They can take my advice or not. It's a very, it's but, noble. It's very noble, but, like but you said, there's it's no much, skin in the game. And it's much more passive, like you said. Yes. Sponsorship is active and mm -hmm. yeah, my reputation, yeah, my reputation's on the line mm -hmm. if I vouch for this person. So I really have to believe in somebody to sponsor them, but also like, I should step up more and sponsor people instead of just mentoring and giving advice. Like every once in a while, like for somebody that I really believe in, like I should put my reputation on the line for people I believe in, take that leap of faith for them and open some doors if I can. You guys have very powerful currency in your reputations. That's one thing that I think that doctors have in society in general is that your reputation does have a lot of weight. And it's not necessarily money changing hands. Like you're saying, if I sponsor somebody in my business, I throw down money and I, I sponsor them. But for you guys, I guess that's the currency you deal in is reputation. Yeah. Cause if you call up somebody that you used to work with and say, this person's amazing, you need to match this person. And then that person shows up and just flops around and flails through the whole training program and is not a good, <laughs> then they're going to not believe you the next time you say something and also it tarnishes your reputation. But yeah, if you believe in somebody, put it on the line, sponsor somebody. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Because yeah. we never, like you said, though, actually, you think about sponsor as like money thing, but that's not really what we're talking about here, no. right? Like you said, our currency is, is different. Yeah, I can tell you're thinking about it a lot. Can <laughs> I facilitate this? What do I do? Yeah. See, it's the, valuable. It's very valuable. Those um, women in medicine groups, just like, Pushing things down. Pushing yeah. Things just through. pushing, uh, pushing reform in medicine. Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I work with, uh, 
neurosurgeon who's female here in the hospital I work with and I love working with her. I'm friends with her husband too. And yeah, it's, it's just fun. I love spending time in the OR with her. We, we do some combo trauma cases and some cancer cases. We've done the fungal cellulitis that spreads into the brain. That was a horrible one. Mm. But yeah, like you said, when it's neurosurgery, like sometimes you have to give the patients the benefit of the doubt because the brain is the thing that's literally damaged. And when they're an asshole to you, you're like, ah, I guess maybe that's your brain. I don't know. I don't do eye stuff much anymore. I just do the plastic surgery stuff, but I would look in the retina and see a whole bunch of hemorrhages and bleeds and aneurysms in there. And just, I'm like, remind yourself that's happening inside their brain. That's so like, that's the, the retina is brain tissue. So like, that's what their brain looks like. So if they're an annoying patient, if they're mean, or they show up late, or they forget to take their meds, that's what's going on inside too. So sometimes it was really helpful to visualize it. I'd look in an eye and be like, yeah, that's happening everywhere. Be a little more compassionate. That's something I was talking about. I actually just the other day, or maybe it was today. Sometimes my days are long, <laughs> but a lot of us in medicine work like healthy people, right? We, I mean, not to say that some of us haven't gone through a lot of medical issues to get through medicine and be in residency, but I'd say by and large, the most of us haven't, we haven't had a lot of medical problems. We haven't had to face what it's like to be hospitalized. And quite frankly, anybody who has probably couldn't even make it through medical school and residency because it is so physically and mentally demanding. So really a lot of us who make it through haven't had those hardships. And it's a funny thing because here we are giving all this advice on, oh, you got to get through this brain surgery or just suck up the pain and spine <laughs> surgery. And it's We've never gone through that or, oh, like you're going to go through this chemo or, or whatever your specialty is. And we have no, very, not very little at best, like firsthand experience. So it's yeah. a weird thing. We've been, we've been collecting more firsthand experience, unfortunately, through just with our kids or other things. Sure. And yeah, it does suck to be on the other side. It, Getting old is be on the, the right worst. side of the scalpel is a much better situation. It's like what I get to do is so much better than being in the patient's chair. <laughs> so Jules, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming, talking to us, being vulnerable about not matching. Like you said, it's not the fun part of our lives, but it's also, I think it's made us stronger, but also maybe more empathetic and maybe more willing to mentor or hopefully sponsor some people and be there for others when they've struggled. So I think as bad as it was looking back, it's made me probably a better person in the long run. <laughs> but thank you for talking to us. And it was really good to catch up with you. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thanks for reaching out. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.